this is the final podcast before we actually hit game week. And I want to say just real fast as we move into game week, we'll be dropping a couple of podcasts a week. Uh, one preview in Oklahoma's opponent, the other one preview in the outcome of the, gun, the game. Talking about that big win the Sooners are going to get, uh, whichever weekend that's going to be. Hopefully it's all of them. So you can find us wherever you find podcasts. Uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, iTunes, uh, TuneIn Radio Network. We're all over the place. And uh, we thank you for those of you that tune in, those of you that send us your comments. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. On Twitter at Sports Heartland. Uh, also, you can find us on the on the web, heartland-sports.com. All right, Oklahoma officially named Spencer Rattler as the starting quarterback. Nobody uh, expected anything different, honestly, uh, in my opinion. Kickoff times have been set for three Oklahoma games already, including those those beloved 11 a.m. kickoff times. And um, we got to go over lists because I want to talk a list a little bit about the uh, some of the Big 12 players that are opting out of the 2020 season. It's Richard's turn to ask the true or false questions. And then we're going to rank Oklahoma's schedule from worst to first. Typical Rich and Matt fashion, I'm sure we're going to agree on lots of things, like uh, Missouri State, obviously number 10. Uh, but uh, there's going to be some disagreements maybe, and that's going to be fun to talk about. So let's jump in here and, and, and start with the kickoff times. Um, Texas and Kansas State, both 11 a.m. kickoff times. You know, one thing that, that I don't understand with the complaining that goes on uh, with college football is that, you know, look, even though the stadium capacity is going to, only going to be 23,000 people, that doesn't mean that the TV contracts change. That doesn't mean that these kickoff times are going to change. Whether that stadium has 85,000 people in it, you know, standing room capacity only, or whether it has five people in it, that TV contract's set. And so Oklahoma, Kansas State, Oklahoma, Texas, I, I, didn't, ex I, I didn't expect anything different from any of those. But maybe if there was a year you were going to change the Texas game to a night game, this would be it. But still, I'm not surprised. Give me your thoughts on some of those things, Rich. I'm just going to be upfront and honest here. Um, one thing that I had never considered with this game, with the limited capacity of the game, would be the, the pricing of the tickets on the secondhand market. Matt, you need to just take a mental note of that because we're going to revisit that topic here a little bit later. I'm giving you oh, a heads nice. up now. Okay? Nice. All right. So um, I, I had that wasn't something that had ever crossed my mind. It wasn't something that I had ever truly considered. But now that we're so close to these games taking place, and now that some of the season ticket holders who may not have been high up on the list in terms of donations are receiving those tickets and are contemplating whether they're going to go to this first game or whether they're going to opt to sell those tickets and stay home and, and enjoy it with, say, friends and family. The night game, I'm in absolute favor of, but when we look at the original or the initial scheduling that was released, I'm a little bit um, confused by it, for lack of a better term. There, you look at some of these, these better matchups that Oklahoma has, especially of the three games that were Release. If I'm off topic, Matt, here, you, you can just feel free to write the ship at any point in time. But I'm I feel like we that, live off topic, but that's okay. Hey, hey, hey. I, I'm looking at that the Red River rivalry. I'm looking at that Oklahoma-Texas game. I know it's something that you and I had talked about earlier this week. Why does it have to be a morning game? 
Why, why does it have to have that 11 a.m. kickoff? Why not instead look at moving that to a later start time and moving some of these not as highly anticipated games to that earlier time slot? You don't have to worry about the Texas State Fair. You don't have to worry about fans getting there in time, traveling from whatever destination that they are coming from. I know that I've traveled from Oklahoma City on the morning of for the Red River rivalry. It's an early start when it was an 11 a.m. kickoff, but we made it there nonetheless. None of that really plays in. It doesn't have any bearing on this contest. And I get um, we're saying 30% capacity in Norman. Who knows what they're going to do if they uh, even allow fans into the Cotton Bowl this year onto Texas State Fair grounds. We don't really have any of those answers at this point in time. But back to your, I guess, original question here, Matt, is I'm looking at the schedule, I'm looking at the pay-per-view, and I don't, I don't really have any or take any issue with it. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna have, I think, each school gets around ten to 12,000 tickets for the, for the game at the Cotton Bowl. And, and again, that, I get it, but you, you don't have, you're not going to have the fair in the background, which means beer sales and alcohol consumption in general are going to be down because you're not going to have people there at eight o'clock in the morning starting, you know, to kick them back. And then you don't have to worry about them hanging out for seven hours after the game, just to finish off their drunkenness uh, that they don't, you know, they don't, if they don't get enough before the game, during the game, then there's always enough to, to possibly cause an incident after the game. So you don't have any of that. So I, I do agree. I think if there was a year to do a nighttime kickoff, this is the year. But again, I'm not surprised at all because traditionally that game has been at 11 a.m. game. And what a lot of people don't realize is that, that you know, really um, that 11 a.m. game, that, that is going to be a national broadcast. So that's, that's going across the country. And that 2.30 time slot doesn't always get that. The 7 o'clock time slot does. But, I mean, the networks, we don't know what they're tied into already. So I, I, I just I, – I'm so happy that we're getting football. I'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning to watch it. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. care. I mean, uh, well, I'm going, I'm going to be gone the weekend of the Kansas state game, but and where the time zone I'm going to be in, it's a 9 a.m. kickoff for me where I'm going to be. I'm okay with that. I already told my wife I'm waking up and we're going to watch football that morning, 9 a.m. OU Kansas. I'll be there. I'll be ready for it. I, like I said, I am just so thrilled that there is football. I don't mind 11 a.m. kickoffs. And I certainly don't mind the pay-per-view, which, again, I, I don't understand. I, I don't get the mindset with the complaining. It's not like Oklahoma has never done a, a, a pay-per-view game before. This is like a yearly thing, and it has to, it's tied into the television contract. And, and I don't – did we just think football – because because you can't sell out the stadium, so everything was supposed to be convenient. It was supposed to be all afternoon and evening games, and then no pay-per-view. Everything is just going to be exactly the way we want it. I don't, I don't get it. Just be happy that there is football, and let's move on from there. I can't refute what you're saying. You, you and I have already had this conversation last week. As you know, I most likely will not be partaking in any festivities or football activities this coming weekend. The following weekend will be a little bit of a different story. So I, I feel like my approach to this whole thing is different, Matt. And I don't want to rehash our argument, but just because football is on doesn't necessarily mean that it is 
football I'm interested in watching or even care to see. Yeah, I was still super disappointed in you on that. I just I just want well, you to know, you know if I was if I was your father, I would say, I'm not mad, Rich. I'm I'm just disappointed. I don't know what to tell you from there. You're just <laughs> you're just gonna have to be disappointed because again, I, I feel as though you'll watch sports because they're on. And that's where you and I are going to differ. We've talked about, I don't know if it was been on the podcast, but you and I have talked about on numerous occasions, the fact that I have, have not watched a single NBA game this season. Yeah. I got the, I got, talking, this, I got the Celtics and the Raptors going on right now while we're, while we're recording. I'm, and I'm not even talking about the playoffs. I'm talking about the season as a whole. I just have a different perspective on it. There are certain things that I enjoy in life and watching what I had labeled as bad football last week is not something that I care to spend my time doing, nor do I have the time to give to it. See, I think bad football could be fun football just because it's, it's football. Okay. So speaking of football though, Spencer Ratley officially named the, um, the starter for Oklahoma. No surprise. If you listen to our podcast, we said the very, I mean, of course we always have said it, it was a, you know, a air quotes quarterback competition between Rattler and Mordecai. But the, the very second it came out that Mordecai had suffered an injury and was going to miss some of the camp, we we said that that contest, the fake contest, was over anyway. So now that it's official, are we surprised? Are we um, are we jacked? Or, I mean, what what are your thoughts now? The the label that I actually attached to it when that article was posted, when the news was released is that it was the worst kept secret in all of college football, not just the big 12, not just pertaining to the Oklahoma Sooners program, but in all of college football, you look at what transpired there in the, the peach bowl against LSU. And the fact that Spencer Rattler took the field before Tanner Mordecai did at the end of that game, I know that there most likely was some coach speak going there and we'll never know if it was true or not because we talked about the converting on on downs there extending that drive at the end of the game then Tanner Mordecai would have stepped on that didn't happen so again it's it's part of the equation that we'll never have an answer to and so I'm led to believe again it is the worst kept secret no surprise there and here's a large reason why as you look at Spencer Rattler you look at his his journey under Lincoln Riley Lincoln Riley began to turn his attention towards Arizona when Spencer Rattler was a freshman, that's nearly unheard of from the quarterback position because one, they don't have the level of experience that you expect them to. You don't know how they're going to develop body-wise, specifically with their arm strength. Are they going to be a dual threat guy or are they going to develop more into someone who stands in the pocket and is a prolific passer? Those tendencies at a freshman level have not really been set in stone and they can begin to swing, swing either way. Just my take on the situation. But Spencer Rattler catches the attention of Lincoln Riley as a freshman, and for four years, Lincoln Riley's recruiting him. Rattler currently number two on the Heisman odds. Um, is it fair to expect that of him, and should Oklahoma fans be prepared for a little bit of disappointment in if, the, if this year, if 2020, the craziest year we've ever had, if, if this is the year that uh, – that the streak ends with, with Oklahoma having a quarterback as a Heisman finalist. Let me go back. I'm going to finish that statement that I was making because, and it pertains to your, your question here that you've asked. Spencer Rattler has been in the spotlight all of his high school career. Last year, he took a back seat. 
His name wasn't forgotten. His name wasn't something that people failed to utter, but he took a back seat as Jalen Hurts was the quarterback and Spencer Rattler wasn't even the number two guy, Tanner Mordecai was. I don't even know that Spencer, well, Rattler most likely was the third on the depth chart, but I don't believe for one second that Lincoln Riley would have burned his red shirt last season. He was going to play three, maybe four games, which is a exactly what transpired in 2019. Here we are, 2020. You're looking at the expectations. You're looking at the hype that's surrounding his name. I think that he can handle being in the spotlight because as I mentioned, that's all he was, all he was accustomed to, excuse me, during his high school career. So that spotlight isn't necessarily anything new. It just has a broader scope to it. When you begin to talk about the Heisman, I, I do believe that we will see some inexperience take over we will right. see some mistakes happen but those mistakes don't disqualify you it's how you bounce back and it's how you recover because we saw kyler murray who made what i would consider egregious mistakes when playing in the cotton bowl against the university of texas putting the ball on the ground in order mm -hmm. to maintain his balance ball pops out Oklahoma goes on to lose that game, as we know, but it didn't disqualify him from Heisman consideration. As we know it, it played out that he won. That vote was labeled as the Heisman winner for that year. So, again, I expect mistakes. I don't think that there's uh, – that it's an unfair labeling because of the talent that exists in person for him. Yeah, and I'm not saying that Rattler's not talented. What, what I am saying is I think it may be a little bit unfair – to compare a redshirt freshman to junior or senior year Baker Mayfield to junior year Kyler Murray or to senior year Jalen Hurts. When you look at those guys, and, and they were even so much more seasoned, even Mayfield as a sophomore, you know, he, he had gone through the, the year at Texas Tech, he had set out a year, and then he played as a sophomore, but really he was three years into college. You know, same thing, same story with, with Kyler Murray. You know, he was a junior, but he had been in college for four years. And then Jalen Hurts had, had been on the biggest of all, of all the stages there in the national championship game. So I'm not saying that Spencer Rattler is not talented. I, I, I've been touting this kid going back to his high school days, but we also consider that he has not started a football game since his junior year of high school and now he's going to be the starter for Lincoln Riley. And that brings all kinds of extra pressure in terms of fan expectations. I think by the time Spencer Rattler's done at the University of Oklahoma, be it two or three years from now, he, he will be able to be mentioned in the same breath of a Baker Mayfield and a Kyler Murray and a Jalen Hurts. And he may very well do that this year as a true freshman. But I just, I just think it's, it's probably wise – for fans to bring those expectations down just a little bit due to what you already mentioned being the guys, he, he's going to make some mistakes. There will be a learning curve there. And, and keep in mind that, I mean, you, you go right to the fire, you, you play Missouri state and then boom, it's Kansas state. And, you know, I don't think anybody's forgetting the fact that Kansas state upset Oklahoma last year in Manhattan. Now you get a chance to go out and get revenge, but you're there. There is no tune up after Missouri state. This is why I'm going to take the opposite side of your arguments. We know that Spencer Rattler isn't stepping onto the field in a Trevor Lawrence type situation. We can look at Clemson. We can look at Kelly Bryant, who was more in the mold mm -hmm. of a Jalen Hurts. Trevor Lawrence comes in, a prolific passer, a guy that I watched in high school because of the Elite 11, caught, caught my attention 
with his ability and separated himself from the rest of the crew. And Spencer Rattler has, has done the exact same thing. Now, he's not in the same situation that Trevor Lawrence is, uh, was in as a freshman. He's not looking at a program that is really trying to exploit some of the tendencies of a spread offense against the defenses. They're not, Oklahoma is not that type of a program. They've done that for years now. They're really cementing themselves as the front runner when it comes to that spread offense and what they're doing with the quarterback. But here's why I'm taking the other side of that, that argument, Matt, is Spencer Rattler, again, has a year under Lincoln Riley. Let's talk about the progression that can be made in one year under Lincoln Riley. And I think the expectations at this point are warranted. Kyler Murray didn't have a ton of experience before he stepped on as a starter at the University of Oklahoma. But you also look at historically what's starting to transpire from that quarterback position. We can go all the way back to Johnny Manziel, if I could say his name properly. We could go all the way back to Johnny Football if we would like. But more recently, the example I gave was a Trevor Lawrence. We could even look at Tua Tagovailoa. There's a lot of examples of young, inexperienced quarterbacks coming in and having an immediate impact, which elevates their team, not only into the Heisman as a player, a Heisman talk, but it also begins to put them into the college football playoff and hopes or talks begin to swirl around that team of potentially winning it all. Uh, you listen, I'm, I'm not going to debate or even try to discredit anything that you've mm -hmm. said because I believe you're spot Justin on. Justin Fields is another good uh, example we can uh, use. Well, but Justin Fields, uh, here's what I'm going to say. Justin Fields had a year at Georgia. Before. And then immediately stepped in as a starter in a new system. Right. It, Kyler Murray had a year at Texas A&M and then a year at Oklahoma before mm -hmm. he started. I, I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not discrediting what you're saying. I'm not disagreeing <laughs> with what you're saying, but what, what I'm adding to that is I, I, I don't know that that should be the expectation. That could be the possibility, but I'm expecting right. Spencer Rattler to go out and look like a red shirt freshman. I'm expecting him to make some mistakes. I'm expecting him to 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 turn in the wrong way on a handoff. I'm expecting him to to read the the safety wrong and throw it a ball in a danger zone. I'm just saying there there are things that if, if you expect immediately, and he's going to look good against Missouri State, by the way, just so everyone knows, <laughs> he's going to look good against Missouri State, and then Kansas State and Texas, those are going to tell the tale. But I'm just I, if 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 it happens, I'm, I'm ecstatic. I knew that it was the possibility, but it wasn't the expectation. That's all I'm going to say. And well, uh, go, ahead. go ahead. Well, I was going to move us to the next topic, but go ahead. If you okay, I'm, I'm going to wrap this up for us then, because when I look specifically at the Heisman conversation, that's when you asked the question, my mind immediately went towards the Heisman with the mention of the Heisman and the question from yourself, and what I look at is, is who are the challengers? Who are the names that could actually be sitting there in New York versus who's opted out and who's playing in a conference that no longer has a football season? Those right there in and of themselves increase the odds of Oklahoma having a player, more specifically a quarterback, sit in New York City when the Heisman uh, winner is announced, which by all means, it would be an absolute surprise if anybody took it home not named Trevor Lawrence this year. Yeah, that's that's I agree on Trevor Lawrence, and I also I think that's a, a very fair point. And I'm I'm really curious though if if the Big Ten and the Pac-12 decide that they do want to in fact 
play football and start in October or November. I'm, I'm curious how that's going to affect what you said about not as many people coming to the Heisman. Cause I don't think that, I think the Heisman presentation is going to be pushed back as well. I, I don't think it's going to be that second weekend in December, like it has been in the past, because just from the simple fact that the, the big 12 championship game isn't going to be until at least the second weekend uh, in December. So I, I do think there is the possibility that a, a Justin Fields could jump in there if, if they decide to go and start playing earlier rather than, than later. Now, I still think that that's going to happen. Big, big 10 pack 12 is going to happen in the spring, but that's, that's neither here nor there. I, I do want to move us on to the next topic because one thing that Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts had that Spencer Rattler does not have, it was an experienced running back. And with Kennedy Brooks setting out the 2020 season due to COVID, that kind of takes one weapon away from Spencer Rattler that otherwise would have kind of given him a little bit more space. The, these, the, the new running back, whoever it's going to be, because we know Ramon J. Stevenson's not going to play against Missouri State. Whoever that running back is going to be, whether it's Marcus Major or Pledger or, you know, somebody else, whoever comes out there, they've got even more pressure to not just produce when they get the ball in their hands, but they've got pressure to make sure they know their blocking assignments, everything. You know, if they go out on, on a flat route or they go up the seam, they have to do everything that an experienced veteran running back would do. And I think this is one area, under underlining area that we've overlooked where an experienced running back, you know, Kennedy Brooks is only two years played at the University of Oklahoma, but he's got multiple thousand-yard seasons in two years. I mean, he, he was the, the, the bell cow, so to speak, particularly with Trey Sermon gone. So that, that factors in, I think, to how Spencer Rattler is going to perform as well. I'm not going to disagree with you, but I also know you can take the names that you've mentioned. Uh, Baker Mayfield probably – played behind one of the best offensive lines in recent memory at the University of Oklahoma in 2017. Kyler Murray didn't necessarily have that. Jalen Hurts certainly didn't have that with, I think the number was about, there's a, there's a, a graphic circulating on Twitter about the returning offensive line talent. Jalen Hurts here was about 22% of the offensive line production was returning at the University of Oklahoma. Now where they finished is a completely different story as well as how they graded by all these different systems that are out there in order to grade players, not only as an individual, but as a group, a lot of the offensive line. When I'm looking at, at this offensive line for Oklahoma, I think it could be one of, it, it could rival that 2017 offensive line that was headlined by Orlando Brown, Cody Ford, Ben Powers, Drew Samia. How often do we know every single name that played on the offensive line, Matt? It's not extremely often. That speaks of the caliber that that offensive line was in 2017. And again, I think when you look at Spencer Rattler, despite the inexperience, despite the, the youngness that he is, he's got an experienced offensive line playing in front of yeah, that's that's true, um, and that that's that's a good that's a, that's a great point to. to it's, add. it's a counterpoint. No, but you, it's 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 a very it's a very a very valid point. Right. It, well, I'm saying you just plug in a guy like a Marcus Major. Um, I I don't know how much playing time Seth McGowan will get, but I definitely think that we'll see him this season. 
Marcus Major, a year in the system. TJ Pledger, a junior. These guys, it's it's not as if we're we're attempting to to put a band aid over right. something. There are guys who have some familiarity with this program, but I I do have to agree with you. There is some pressure because when someone misses that assignment, or when someone under Bob Stoops, notoriously, when someone fumbled the ball, mm -hmm. you didn't see them for quite some time after that. When it was a fumble that they lost. Now, well, generational it didn't necessarily talents. have to be a fumble that they lost either. It's just if you give up the ball, Bob Stoops didn't want you on the field. Yeah, you know. Yep. And generational talents didn't necessarily get a pass on that either. Now they made their way a little bit quicker because I'm mm. assuming that work ethic as well as the talent was there and it was much needed on the field. But what happens when someone coughs the ball up? What happens when they miss that blocking assignment three times in a row? We don't know because the depth, you've mentioned it, isn't there to consistently rotate guys when you have three that are on scholarship that are available at the position. So the Big 12 has a total of seven players that have opted out for the 2020 season. Um, the SEC has the most of the three active power uh, five conferences with 24 players not participating in 2020, the ACC with 16. So just having seven, seven players across the conference not playing in 2020, that's, that's actually a pretty low number compared to what you're looking at nationally. Teams affected by players opting out of the 2020 season are Kansas Jayhawks, the Kansas State Wildcats, obviously Oklahoma with Kennedy Brooks. We've talked about him. Uh, Texas has three players that are opting out, and then West Virginia has one. Now, the, the Longhorns also lost a, a running back opting out. It was Daniel Young, 589 career rushing yards at the University of Texas. Kansas, uh, Kansas State loses a, a, pretty, a pretty key member of their secondary in yeah, Jonathan sure. Alexander. And then West Virginia losing Kerry Martin. He was expected to be a starter after playing all 12 games and recording 50 tackles as a freshman last year. Those are some of the big names out there. But I, I don't think, again, I'm biased, but I don't think there's a name bigger in the Big 12 than Kennedy Brooks. I do concur with your statement largely because of how he was, Kennedy Brooks, that is, was expected to contribute, how it was supposed to be his biggest season statistically to date. It was going to propel him into the NFL, put a lot more um, of footage of him into people's hands. Kennedy Brooks was going to be that main contributor in the backfield for Oklahoma, and you've already mentioned some of the losses. So when we look at this list of names, absolutely, Kennedy Brooks, is that that biggest name I think I would put Jonathan Alexander number two and Kerry Martin number three but the one I, I need to I, I feel like I need to state this because last week I was very harsh about players opting out for the season and whether they would be welcomed back into the community or that team <laughs> environment I believe that Kerry Martin has has a legitimate excuse because of health concerns now I don't know that any of these other players do or don't have health concerns, but that he's the only name that I'm familiar with that I know has a legitimate reason because of those health concerns to sit out and just say, hey, I'd rather be safe and not die. Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm not going to open up that can of worms again. Uh, I, I expressed how I felt <laughs> about that. You, uh, last week, I, I was in total disagreement with your, uh, your viewpoint on that, but Let's let's let people go back and listen to that podcast to get our takes on that. We've got true or false coming up, and it's Richard's turn to ask the questions, which always makes me nervous. I say it every time. 
I always, always get nervous. Okay, it's that time, Rich. True or false? I'm gonna let you take it away, buddy. <laughs> I don't know why you get get nervous during this segment. We are, Matt. I'm gonna give you a heads up here. We are gonna focus on football for the duration of the five questions that Yay. I've prepared for you. So it's something again in your wheelhouse, something you should be a little bit more comfortable with. We're not going to ask about Kansas basketball recruiting. We're not going to talk about Oklahoma state basketball. We're not even going to talk about the Oklahoma city thunder. It's going to focus because we are so close to the season. It is going to focus solely on the Oklahoma Sooners and the upcoming football season. Heartbreaking into wanna... the season for the thunder though. Just putting that out there. The way that, yeah, that game fell that. apart in the last 45 seconds. But whatever, we're not going to talk about that. I did <laughs> I did want to use a very general true or false statement because we are looking at a condensed season. Most of the teams that are playing this year are only going to be playing 10 teams. It'd be their typical conference slate with a plus one on that, maybe even a 10 conference, 10 conference games, depending on that championship. When I'm looking at the schedule, Matt, and I'm looking at what we have seen in the past with the expansion of the number of games a team could play, assuming they make it to the national championship game. That's where this question is coming from. So true or false in the condensed season, no new college football records will be set statistically speaking. Wow. You're talking about like passing yards in a season and stuff like yep. that. So Com you can still get like percentage. single game, single game records don't count here. Correct. I'm just talking about for the season. Yeah, I do believe like things like completion percentage, you know, that that's, that can still happen whether it's a 10 game or a 13 game season. You It'll can still have an asterisk. I maybe, maybe. I I don't know. This team um, only played nine games. <laughs> well, that's true. But you look back at some of the old bowl records, you know, like when, when Barry Sanders rushed for over two thousand yards, his Heisman season, you know, that was they only played ten games back mm -hmm. then. So that makes um, it so incredible. Right. So uh, I'm going to say like uh, season, um, like, man, this is harder to answer than I thought it would be. I'm going to say true <laughs> in as much as I don't think we're going to see like someone break the season rushing record or the season passing record. Maybe, I, I don't know that I can say with confidence that like a, a touchdown record for a season won't be won't be surpassed because you still could have somebody who goes crazy as a receiver or a running back. But um, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say true on that. Yeah, I'm going to follow it up with one that just pertains to the Oklahoma. It's a good question, by the way. We are looking at um, the loss of Kennedy Brooks, Ramondre Stevenson, as well as the transfer of Trey Sermon, leading a pretty inexperienced group in the backfield. Ramondre Steven just for half of the season. I get that, but it does factor in here, and it's it's a, a point to consider. Matt, can you tell me the last time the Oklahoma Sooners failed to produce a 1,000-yard rusher? Wait, is this the true or false question? No, no, no. Oh. I just want to know. Uh, this is bonus trivia. Okay, so the last time, not not just a running back, but just a 1,000. A, a any, any player, but running back more specifically. It'd be any player on the season. All right, let me think here, because we know Chris Brown, DeMarco Murray, they both. Yeah, you're did you're it. going too early. You're too early. Well, I'm 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 working back from there. So you're saying it's been since Chris Brown and DeMarco Murray? It yeah, mm -hmm. more recently than them. So okay, um, 
Oh, man, I'm thinking. Okay, so we, we know Kennedy Brooks has done it the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex, um, let me think. Uh, Rodney Anderson? Rodney Anderson did it, didn't he? I'm pretty confident mm-hmm. Rodney Anderson did. Yep. Um, Joe Mixon as well. Samaj P. Ryan. So We're getting to, close. We're getting it would, close. It would have to be – so I'm going to go back. Let me see. That's uh, 19, uh, 18, 17 – 2014. 2014, Oklahoma did have a 1,000-yard rusher. Uh, 2013 was the last time they did not have a 1,000-yard rusher. Brennan Clay was the lead rusher that year with like 963, I think it was. I'd have to go back and look at that specific number, but I know that there was no player, regardless of position, who eclipsed that 1,000-yard barrier. Again, in a condensed season, looking at the losses – from Oklahoma, knowing that they'll only play 10 games, possibly 11, but it's going to have to be an average of close to 100 yards per game from the running back position specifically. This is the first year since 2013 Oklahoma does not have a 1,000-yard rusher. True or false? I'm going to say false. I think it can happen because I think it's going to be a smaller uh, running back group. Um, I think – I think everyone's going to play against Missouri State, but I, I think I would expect multiple 100-yard rushers against Missouri State. <clears throat> I think Kansas State is where you get to see that group narrow down to two or three guys. Um, and of those two or three guys, you're going to have kind of your bell cow, so to speak, that that will emerge until Ramondre Stevenson comes back. Um, but, yeah, I think with a, with a young quarterback, I think – and the offensive line, we've already talked how, how well that the offensive line um, – is going to be this year one way to the, the best way to take pressure away from a young quarterback is to run the ball so i'm going to say false i i'm going to say that that streak continues well you've mentioned the offensive line fairly consistently right there with that answer which does bring me to the next true or false question we know the name creed humphrey the other names, Matt, I'm sure you could name some of the other players along the offensive line, but they're not as well known as that 2017 group was, as I have mentioned previously on this podcast. When we look at the starting five, we look at what Oklahoma is returning, we're looking at the potential there. This offensive line will be better than the one Oklahoma fielded in 2017, true or false? False. I mean, that there's just, I mean, I'm sorry. It's going to be good. And, and there's, there's talent there. There's NFL talent there. And I think across the board, there's going to be NFL talent uh, on that, on that line. But that here's the thing about that 2017 line. You, you've already mentioned like Cody Ford and, and you mentioned uh, Orlando Brown and it really Cody Ford's best year was, was the year after 20, 2018. But those guys just played with a, a degree of nastiness across the board right now if, if you're if i'm going to ask you who's the nastiest player on that offensive line what are you going to say creed humphrey exactly and i, and I do believe he sets the tone much right. like an orlando brown did but you, you know you know that you're going to get nasty from creed humphrey can mm-hmm. you confidently say any of the other four guys are going to play at that same degree of nasty i can't at this point i think they will um but you, you still have one position that's possibly up for grabs that 2017, that unit was solid. Um, so I think they're going to be good. I think there's a lot of potential there. I actually think 2021 could be, a, um, even though I, I'm pretty confident we're going to lose Creed Humphrey, um, I do think 2021 could possibly be a step closer to 2017 than what 2020 is going to be. But that's not to say these guys are going to be slouches at all. 
right but by, by any stretch of the imagination you do have to look at across the board there are names i've been really high on marquise hayes i know that there's a couple on the other side of the line that that you've mentioned by name in the past it is going to be a dominant offensive line that i do think exceeds expectations much like they did last year taking another step forward it's very difficult well, to go ahead well so before you go to the next question i'm gonna say marquise hayes may be one of the most slept on guys in the conference at any position because we talked about the nasty that creed humphrey has um the next guy i think would be marquise hayes to develop that um he's going to be he, he he's going to have first round draft pick potential mm -hmm. and there's going to be a lot of people talking about him at as we hit in, uh, late november into december when oklahoma hits that final game against baylor there will be a lot more people talking about marquise hayes than there are right now on september 3rd when we're recording this Right. And his name is starting to get some mentions. It's just not being listed next to the likes of those who are on the, mm -hmm. the all Big 12 conference teams. He'll right. get there eventually. And I believe it'll be by the end of the season. Matt, I did want to ask you a, a hard question that you may not be comfortable answering, but I'm going to make you answer it anyway. True or false, this will be the last year Tanner Mordecai suits up in an Oklahoma Sooners uniform. Yeah, I think that's true. And and here's the reason why I think it's true is because this is a bonus year. There's no point in transferring out this year because you don't lose anything. And this is a year where the backup quarterback is probably more valuable than he has ever been before. Because, I mean, Spencer Rattler is a is a one failed um, COVID test away from being sidelined for up to two weeks. Right. So the, the backup quarterback role is is huge this year i think mordecai gets that i think he also uh, knows that his best chance to get on the field um is going to be 2020 and so he's going to stick it out here but then he's going to hit that transfer portal and then again this year is just it's a do-over um and so um so i think i, I think yes I, I think he's gone especially when you look at caleb williams coming in next year uh this will be it for tanner mordecai all right and last one was something that i gave you a little a bit of a preview for. I do agree with you about Tanner Mordecai. I had never considered the value of a backup quarterback, but one more year to learn under a guy like Lincoln Riley. Any player in the country, I believe, who plays the position would take that no questions asked if there were uh, no consequences for doing so. And it, it certainly seems to be shaping up that way for Tanner Mordecai. The question, though, I had previously mentioned um, the skyrocketing ticket prices on the resale market. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the Oklahoma Sooners, the most recent tickets that I saw, the, excuse me, the cheapest ones, I should say, that I saw for the, the home opener against Missouri State was $300. True or false, Matt, that is too much to pay to watch Oklahoma and Missouri State. No, that's absolutely false. I mean, because it works out. It doesn't matter. If it's Missouri State. It's it's Oklahoma. You're you're paying to watch Oklahoma. And keep in mind, you you see, this is where you, I believe that maybe you have a little bit of a disconnect, which is why I'm going to be glued to my television tomorrow night and all day Saturday because we we're less than a month from being uh, told that we're probably not going to have football at all this fall. And now we're having football, and we're having the University of Oklahoma play football. And there are people out there who are diehard enough. They're going to they're going to pay those prices because if, if there weren't people out there that are going to pay those prices, the prices wouldn't be set. But if you think $300 from Missouri state is a lot of money, wait till you start seeing the, the Texas tickets. Wait till you start seeing the bedlam tickets. Those ticket prices are going to hit oh, no triple kidding. digits. 
are quadruple digits, I guess. The three hundred dollars technically would be triple digits, but we're gonna see. <laughs> we're gonna see those. We're gonna see those prices nine ninety nine and up for for the Red River Rivalry in Bedlam. Um, so yeah, that's insane. But again. And talk, talk about being one of the 30% that actually received those season tickets this year and then turning around and, and selling them. You would make a, a decent, a hefty profit. For sure. And, and that's where I'm kind of kicking myself because I was like, yeah, if I don't get the tickets, not a big deal. Uh, yeah, because big deal. Well, the way it works is you, you buy the tickets. And, and so I've already paid for my season tickets. I don't have them but mm-hmm. I'm paid for next year. I'm paid for 2021, right. but they're going to go up. There's no way the tickets don't go up in 2021. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to pay whatever fee they go up for. But I'm like, yeah, I'm mostly paid for it for 2021. I'm all good. And then I'm thinking about exactly what you're saying. Holy crap. I can sell my bedlam tickets for like a thousand dollars. You know, it's going to be like Oprah. I mean, the university <laughs> of Oklahoma is basically pointing at season tickets and saying, you get a car and you get no a car. Doubt, no doubt. You know what? In this economy, a thousand dollars can do for a set of tickets. Um, Okay, so that's it for true or false. I'm back next week to ask the questions of Rich. We're going to start diving into Oklahoma's schedule for 2020. And Rich and I are going to tell you, ranking them from number 10, the worst team on the schedule, to number one, the most frightening team on the schedule. That's coming up. Okay, Rich, as we delve into this and we begin to talk about Oklahoma's 2020 football schedule, can we just say across, I mean, just right up front, just say Missouri State is clearly number 10? Absolutely. When you look at a program that went one in 10 last year, doesn't matter what they've got returning. You do have to look at what Oklahoma's going to field, and you believe you've said it. I'm buying into it, Matt, is that this is going to be a one, one big statistical game for Spencer Rattler. Yeah, and here and here's something else that that, um, that goes with this game is that remember no spring ball and no preseason other than this one game. Kansas State's coming two weeks later, and then it's on for real defending your your Big Twelve championships. So we we're used to Oklahoma getting up a big big lead, right? And then you see those starters begin to to wane out midway through the third quarter into the fourth quarter. I think we see less of that because it's a, a new quarterback new running back, young receivers. We're going to see Spencer Rattler, I think, go deep into the fourth quarter just as Oklahoma try and Lincoln Riley tries to work some things out here. So there is something that you're going to want to watch. I don't know if you're planning on forking out the pay-per-view because you have, have admitted last week and this week that you hate football. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not – I'm not going, clearly I'm not going to the game because I just submitted, I don't have season tickets for this year, but I will be forking out the money happily. And that's one of the things I'm going to be watching is how long does Spencer Rattler play in this game? Um, But also to keep in mind that um, I I do believe that Missouri state, when you look at their receivers, they've got, they've got one guy who's kind of a, a speedy guy. And then they've got another guy who was a tight end that they transitioned to the receiver position this year when Bobby Petrino arrived uh, in Springfield, we'll be talking more about Missouri State on the website next week. Shameless plug, heartland-sports.com as we preview the Bears. But I do think that the Bears will have the ability to test Oklahoma safeties and really give Oklahoma an opportunity to see what they've got in terms of a pass rush, you know, with, with Kenneth Murray being gone and, and losing Neville Gallimore up front. I do think there's enough here that we get a good look at what Oklahoma is going to have in the way of pass rush, uh, in the way of, of safety coverage. Uh, so 
there, there are some reasons to watch this game. I'm glad you believe that. I will be watching the game, by the way. Contrary to pop popular belief on the other side of the screen that we're recording on, I will be watching that game. There are some things, Matt, as you've mentioned, to watch um, on the offensive side of the ball. We've talked plenty about the running back position, but we are going to look at that rotation. We're going to look at that production. I want to see what these receivers are capable of as well on the offensive side of the ball, because we know what we have in Charleston Rambo. In fact, Charleston Rambo just landed himself on one of the award watch lists yesterday. Missed that, didn't see that until today, but he did land himself there. We know we've got a capable, capable receiver that can get behind defenses who has proven that time and time again in Charleston Rambo. Now we're looking for those, those complimentary pieces. You're looking at the freshmen, some of these younger guys who we know have speed. We know that they've got size. Can they make things happen without the availability of a guy like a Jaden Hazelwood, without the availability of, um, I'm just blanking on the other, the Wood Stogner freshman. No, no, no. Receiver. Weiss. No, the other one, they tried him at uh, safety for a little bridges, bit. Bridges, Trajan Bridges. Yeah, Trajan Bridges. So Theo Weiss is going to have to shoulder. I'm glad you mentioned him because he's going to have to shoulder a considerable amount of that burden in the early going. Yeah, so uh, that's all the reasons to watch. Plus, it is Oklahoma <laughs> football. All that, plus it's Oklahoma football. Okay, who do you got at number nine? At number nine, uh, again, this was a pretty easy one. For me, it's got to be the Kansas Jayhawks. Really? When you look, yeah, when you look at what Kansas has in a coach in Les Miles, I think there was some expectation that they would begin to turn the tide, that they would begin to show some signs of improvement. And while I know that they've got a capable ball carrier in Puka Williams, what they don't have is a defense. And it's extremely difficult to win games when you find yourself without top-tier talent in track meets. Oklahoma against a team like Kansas is in a very favorable position because I know that Oklahoma is going to get more stops than Kansas ever will. That's why they, they slotted number nine really nicely for me. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> here's what I'm going to tell you. Mark it down. Kansas will have a better defense than the West Virginia Mountaineers. And Kansas has Puka Williams. So I've got West Virginia at number nine as opposed to Kansas. Now, I am a little now, bit more... You're confusing me here because didn't we do some preseason rankings at one point in time, power rankings, and you had West Virginia like number six. For what? I'd have to go back and look at that. I, don't, I thought we did some, our Big 12 power rankings. We did position rankings. We have power rankings are coming out yeah, on Saturday. Yeah. So um, here, here's the thing though. This, this game with West Virginia does bother me more that's moved to late November. You know, November 28th, it's going to be cold in Morgantown. That game always, like Texas is always an 11 a.m. kickoff. That game always seems to be moved to a night game. It's, it always seems to be some sort of precipitation or, you know, snow or, or freezing rain or something. So the game is a little bit bothersome now than it was, you know, a couple weeks ago before they released the schedule and, and we saw that it got moved back. But – I still feel really good about that because I think West Virginia is going to be riding the struggle bus immensely this year. And I feel sorry for Brown at second year as a head coach because he's just – Dana Holgerson, Holgerson left that cupboard really, really empty. At number eight for me, I've got the Baylor Bears. I'm not expecting a lot from, from Baylor in, you know, in their first year post-Matt Rule. I, I, they lost their entire defense. You were talking about defense – 
earlier. Uh, Baylor lost their entire defense. Um, they they lost on the offensive line. They they lost some receivers. The Charlie Brewer, I think, is a is a, a better quarterback than what he's going to get credit for. But this is a home game. There's a new coaching staff, and I have zero confidence in the Baylor uh, Bears on the defensive side of the ball. Well, we're just going to keep the trend alive then because at number eight for me is Texas Tech for a lot of the reasons that you've mentioned. They showed absolutely no life on the defensive side of the ball last season, ranking towards the bottom of the conference. When we look offensively as well, while I believe that Alan Bowman is a capable quarterback, the health concerns over override any notion that I have about him as a passer, as a signal caller. When you combine those two facts, I, I have that question of can Alan Bowman stay healthy? Can they produce without him on the field on the offensive side of the ball? And again, what, what's the defensive side of the ball going to look like? Because you return eight of the 11 starters on the defensive side of the ball, but the defense wasn't stellar to begin with. We've mentioned this. I've mentioned it specifically is that returning starters can sometimes be a good thing. Other times it can prove to be a little bit more of a liability. And until Texas Tech proves otherwise, I'm saying the returning starters are going to produce the exact same or going to produce at the same level that they did previously, which again is that liability for me, which is why I've got them in at number nine. I'm going to ride that theme one more time here because I do believe West Virginia up front defensively is better than the two teams in conference that I've mentioned beforehand in Kansas, as well as Texas Tech. You've got to look at the Sills brothers and know that they're disruptors for West Virginia. I believe that they could cause a little bit of havoc given the um, inexperience in the backfield for Oklahoma. Again, I'm hoping the offensive line can help remove any of those concerns of mine by playing up to their potential this year, despite what's playing behind them in a Marcus Major or a Spencer Rattler or a TJ Pledger or, or even a um, McGowan. doesn't matter who's back there. I'm hoping they live up to, to the potential, to that ceiling that we know that they have. But again, West Virginia does have a couple of playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. Now, the offense, uh, Matt, I, I don't know that I'm 100% settled on their quarterback situation, but it wasn't great one way we slide one way or the other. Now, when we look at what they did at the end of the season, when they removed Austin Kendall from that starting role, they did show signs of improvement. Is that something that's going to be sustained? I just have a lot of questions all over the place for West Virginia, but I do know they have some disruptors up front on that defensive line, which is why I've got them ahead of, of Texas Tech and Kansas. All right, so, you, so you're Kansas number 10, Texas Tech number nine, and then Miss Missouri State number ten, Kansas oh, sorry, number sorry. nine, right? Texas Tech number eight, West Virginia number seven. All right, so here's where I'm going to insert the Kansas Jayhawks at number seven. Um, Puka Williams is still there. <laughs> um, there's not a lot of depth behind uh, all across the board for Les Miles, but I do believe that Les Miles is an underrated coach. The guy won, you know, he he beat Oklahoma at when he was head coach at Oklahoma State. He won a national championship at LSU. I don't know that he doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, he may be, he may be slightly crazy, but the guy knows football. Um, I'm glad this is a home game for the Sooners, but I don't think there's a threat of Kansas beating Oklahoma, but I do think the Jayhawks can kind of muck this game up a little bit and, and make it kind of an, an ugly game. Uh, when you look at early November, I can see that being a rainy day for Oklahoma. I can definitely see this being 11 a.m. kickoff. And just the kind of game you're just like, come on, let's, we're better than this. So, number six, staying in the Sunflower State, I've got the Kansas State Wildcats. 
again, the benefit of a home game for the Sooners, but there's all kinds of, there's also all kinds of question marks for Kansas state, both on the offensive side of the ball with the offensive linemen on the defensive side of the ball with the secondary and the defensive linemen. This is an early season game for Oklahoma uh, happening in the month of September, second game of the season for the Sooners. So I do have a, a little bit of concern there for Oklahoma, because again, I, I, things aren't going to come as easy against Kansas State as they will against Missouri State. So this is where we're going to kind of see how much of a learning curve a guy like Spencer Rattler has, how much of a learning curve a guy like um, Marcus Major has. The, these guys that are making their debuts in these starting roles, how much work do they have to do? How good is this offensive line going to be? How 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 has the 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 return of a guy like Trey Norwood in the secondary? How has that shored things up? We're going to learn a lot more about this team that that second game than we are going to learn against Missouri State. But still, I think it's a game that Oklahoma can be extremely confident in. I actually am going to agree with you on number six because I also have the Kansas State Wildcats. Their second game of the, the year, I do believe Oklahoma is going to get a bit of a test. I said that Kansas State on the back end would be one of the better defenses with the safeties. Now we know that Alexander, Jonathan Alexander is not going to partake in this season as he is opting out, which is a little bit of a setback for them. But again, they're going to force things to be thrown in front of the defense and they're going to rely on a little bit of the speed, the mobility, the ability to um, flow towards the, the ball to be their bread and butter against this Oklahoma team. When I'm looking at Kansas State, I'm also looking at that team who's going to put Skyler Thompson at the helm, who's a mobile quarterback. Oklahoma has had some issues with mobile quarterbacks, guys who have the ability to extend plays. While he doesn't have the throwing ability of some of the other quarterbacks in this conference, I do believe that he can make things happen. It's going to be a big test in my eyes for these linebackers as well as for these defensive ends. We'll see just how capable and how confident they are in their abilities and how confident they are in one another to let a player go ahead and slide out and not feel like they have to overcompensate in order for maybe a weakness to be covered up. So again, it's going to be a pretty big test there in the second week as Kansas State comes to town, but I do have them as, as that number 16. Okay, that means our top five are coming up right after this. Okay, so before we jump into the top five, Rich, let's let's just kind of refresh. My ranking Oklahoma's 2020 football schedule from worst to first uh, for 10. Uh, me at number 10, I got Missouri State. I got West Virginia number nine, Baylor number eight, Kansas number seven, Kansas State number six. I think the only thing we agreed upon there was Kansas State at number six, right? As well as Missouri State at number 10. And number, Yeah, that's kind of a given. So give us your 10 through six real fast, and we'll jump into number five. All right, 10 for me was Missouri State at number nine. I did have Les Miles and the Kansas Fighting Jayhawks, if you will. Texas Tech was number eight, West Virginia number seven, and Kansas State number six. Okay, we'll jump in there and give me your number five then. At, at number five for me, this is a team that is a X factor in the league this year, and that's TCU. Gary Patterson has a knack for recruiting players who can play a multitude of positions and then finding a slot that they can excel in once they arrive on campus. He's been extremely successful in that approach with TCU. Once joining the Big 12, we saw a continuance of that, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But they're going to bring in a five-star running back recruit to 
alleviate a lot of the question marks that that did exist there at the position. Blanking on his name, can you help Zachary me? Zachary Evans. Yes, thank you. Zachary Evans coming in and and removing a lot of the question marks there in the backfield. This is that X factor team for me because I know that their skill position players are typically pretty speedy. We've seen that in the past, the ability to get behind the defense and designs for players to get behind the defense using things such as the wheel route. I know Baylor has done that in the past as well, but Baylor traditionally has put bigger receivers out there rather than just guys who are fast. So I'm looking at TCU as that X factor because of what I know they can do defensively with Gary Patterson at the helm, but also I, I just don't know enough about their offense to say that that Oklahoma can outscore them on each and every trip up and down the field. Yeah, I, you know, we're going to agree here. I've got TCU at number five as well. I, I will say I do feel much better about this game knowing that there's an issue with Max Dugan and, and not knowing whether he's either going to get to play this season. Mm-hmm. If he, we do know he's, he's most likely not going to start the season. This is Oklahoma's third game of the season. And so there's still that early factor going to Fort Worth, but knowing that they don't have to face him, I think the, the options for TCU are a former walk-on, a junior college transfer, or a true freshman now with, with Dugan out of the picture. And, and you wish this kid the best. You know, they, they found a heart issue uh, doing just the normal COVID testing, and they discovered a, a heart issue. So I hope everything gets corrected for him. I hope he sees the field again because he's a young guy. He's a talented guy, but uh, he's a guy that, that – that the frogs are going to have to move forward, not right now, not planning to have him. And so that makes me feel a little bit better um, about this game. Otherwise I would have had it ranked um, a little bit closer to number one than I do at number five, but I do agree TCU at number five. Also keep in mind, what, whatever they decide to do a quarterback is happening very late. And they just discovered this problem in August and so now this is happening late and they're replacing four of their five offensive linemen. So that plays into making this game a little bit more manageable for Oklahoma, particularly early in the season and on the road in Fort Worth. For me at number four, this is where you and I are going to have right now. It looks like our biggest disagreement. I've got Texas tech at number four and wow. the reason why, well, Lubbock go to Lubbock is never easy, you know? And I think that that offense is especially if Bowman stays healthy. Now I know that's an if, because two seasons in a row, he's had two season-ending injuries. But if Bowman stays healthy, you've got a really good running back. You've got really good receivers. You've got a talented quarterback who I think is probably more talented than he's going to get credit for, but because of the health issue. So I think offensively, this is a team that's going to hum in 2020. I do agree with you. (laughs) There are some problems on the defensive side of the ball, but you're going on the road in Lubbock, again, a place that has not been kind to Oklahoma in recent years. And always, again, seems like a game that's going to get as a, as a nighttime kickoff with, you know, with, it's just, I, I have concerns here when I think about going to play Texas Tech. Yeah, we have deemed that as the twilight zone right. in the past because crazy things do happen in the town of Lubbock at night, especially on a Saturday during a football game. I, you're, you've disagreed with me pretty heavily when it comes to Texas Tech. I'm going to do the exact same thing with the Baylor Bears because Baylor's coming in at number four Wow! for me. Here's, it's a home game. Yeah, I get that. But you've also got to look at the fact that Baylor was, was fairly close to upsetting Oklahoma, not once, but they had two opportunities to do it, and they simply couldn't get it done. This is going to be that revenge game for Baylor. It's one that they've circled on the calendar. I do expect them to take a step back 
because of the big new, step back because of the new leadership but i'm also not naive enough to say that the players that are currently on the field that are expected to start this season don't have good tendencies that they've already developed under matt rule lsu defensive coordinator comes in dave Arruda. he's going to inherit a, a group that is chomping at the bit to get back at oklahoma and if he can tap into that i do believe that this group can exceed expectations they're going to have to be opportunistic on defense and again i think they've got the talent to do that i don't i need to... uh, so <laughs> we'll see <laughs> that's, uh, this is a, perfectly this, fine this will be a fun conversation to revisit like uh, six weeks from now uh, texas yeah. tech and baylor and I need to give you my, my number three. Number three? Number yes. three. Number three is the Iowa State Cyclones for me. Again, a road game that we're looking at here. We know that Brock Purdy may, as you've labeled him, Matt, may very well be the most NFL-ready quarterback in the league this season. He definitely has the arm strength for that, and he's got the receivers to make defenses or to punish defenses when any any mishap goes wrong. Now, Brock Purdy's not perfect. We know that there are some misreads. There's some comfort uh, comfortability. Can I use that term with sure. re other receivers that doesn't really exist? I know Charlie Kolar is going to be that big target for him right there in the middle, and he's going to challenge these these Oklahoma linebackers as well as that secondary anytime he goes out. On a route defensively, I believe that this Iowa State Iowa State defense under Matt Campbell can match up with anyone. I don't know that they can consistently match up with high-powered offenses of this conference, Oklahoma State, the Oklahomas. I just don't know that they're going to get enough stops. I've used that term quite a bit, but I do believe that it is true. So offensively, they're set. Defensively, they're looking pretty good. Knowing that that game is in the state of Iowa is concerning for me. Yes, I agree with everything you said, but I have the Texas Longhorns at number three. Um, and, you know, this game, it's a rivalry game. It's in the Cotton Bowl. We talk about it. It's usually the biggest game of the season. We've always talked, already talked about it earlier on this podcast. I'm not sold on Texas like everybody else is. I've already seen national publications talking about the Texas Longhorns are going to be a, the, the new representative of the Big 12 in the college football playoff. That's, you know, that's, it's like clockwork every, every August, every September. You see that kind of stuff. But Texas has a pretty decent schedule leading up to Oklahoma. They start out with UTEP. They play on the road at Texas Tech, which will be interesting to watch. And then they play TCU before, before they meet in the Sooners in Dallas. Tom Herman's coaching for his job. That, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a given. Once you have to fire your coordinators, you're next if you don't produce. So Tom Herman's coaching for his job. But this is a team that lost its top two receivers from last year. It's a team that has a quarterback who's not a great passer, but it's, it's going to be expected of him. It seems like it's going to be expected of him to be more of a passer in 2020. Uh, this is a game that Oklahoma could easily lose. They've, they've lost to worst Texas teams in the past, but I don't think it is the top two as far as scariest games on Oklahoma's schedule in 2020. That goes to number two is where I'm going to put the Iowa State Cyclones for all the reasons that you mentioned. And I do want to correct something that I said incorrectly earlier when I said TCU was Oklahoma's second conference game. I was wrong. It's Iowa State, Oklahoma's second conference game, and it'll be Oklahoma's first road game of the season. So for all the things that you said of, about the defense and about the offense and Brock Purdy being the quarterback that he is, um, I, I think that um, 
you look at this and you look at Oklahoma being Oklahoma's first test on the road, that makes this game way more scary than playing Texas a month later on a neutral site with virtually no fans. <laughs> I, I get your point. I see it. I do believe in my book, at least Iowa state and the Texas Longhorns are nearly interchangeable here. When you look at the talents, on the roster, we're going for number two for me here, which is the Texas Longhorns. When you look at the talent on the roster, Texas outpaces Iowa State every day of the week. Can they get the most of that talent has always been the question for the folks down in Austin. That has not been the case here recently. But I do look, again, I believe that they have a capable roster. We know that they're going to have a stout offensive line who is going to ward off any attempts to get into the backfield mm -hmm. and to secure a tackle for loss. You have Sam Ellinger, a guy who, again, can extend plays, but a guy that's also not easy to tackle. When you get in third or fourth and short situations, he's been that, that one key cog to continue these drives for sustained periods of time, and it's worked exceptionally well for them over the past three years. I don't expect anything different in year four. You begin to look at this defense as well. Again, a capable defense that can slow down any passer. What they do need to do is more sure tackling. I don't know that that's going to be uh, that that's going to happen. I don't know that that'll make manifest on the field this year, but it is an expectation for these Texas Longhorns. There are still some concerns though, because you've mentioned Sam Ellinger is not the greatest passer in the world. He's not the greatest passer in the league. In fact, he's not even the greatest passer in the state of Texas right now. <laughs> I don't when think he's, comes... he's not even the second best passer in the state of Texas. <laughs> When it comes to what Texas is wanting to do and what they'll be capable of doing, I'm not certain that those two things are going to line up. And it's just a matter of personnel. I still have them at number two because it is that rivalry game. And we know that anytime you step onto the field against a rival, it brings out the absolute best mm -hmm. in that team. Texas wants their shot to prove their back. And that, that shot has placed the target on the Oklahoma Sooners each and every year that Sam Ellinger has been the quarterback for that team, but they've not been able to do it just yet. I don't know if this is the year. I don't think that it is, um, but I'm going to move on to number one for me, Matt, which is the Oklahoma State Cowboys. I get that that game, that game's in Norman, correct? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I get that that game is in Norman. I'm looking at the schedule, and I know that a lot of things have shifted from the dates that I'm actually using for the schedule because I'm not looking at the updated one. But I do know that Oklahoma State is going to test this defense in every way imaginable. Spencer Sanders at the quarterback position, Chuba Hubbard at the running back position, who has possibly the best division of any running back that's playing this season. And then, of course, you've got Tylen Wallace as the receiver, but he is not the only receiver who's capable of making plays. It's the three-headed monster that you don't want to face early, but you certainly don't want to face late if they are getting things together and seem to be playing at an extremely high level. That is a possibility as Oklahoma and Oklahoma State match up. Can this Oklahoma Sooners defense get enough stops or will we find ourselves in a track meet, which then brings up the question of is this young offense capable of putting up point, the points necessary against an experienced defense that Oklahoma State will be fielding. Again, they're only losing one corner back in A.J. Green. So you have to ask, will, will both sides of the ball be up to the task or will the Oklahoma Sooners simply fall flat in a game because they're starstruck, for lack of a better term? 
Yeah, I, I mean, you know, clearly I have Oklahoma State number one as well. I am glad this game got moved from October to November. I wish it was one more week later in November than what it is at the 21st. But um, I, here, here's the thing. All you have to do is say Bedlam. I, I get it. It's a home game. Mm-hmm. I'm glad it's in Norman because this is a year that you want it to be in Norman. But it's Bedlam. And, and you, this is a game that give Oklahoma State credit because it's a game that makes Oklahoma fans at least nervous you know, going as it leads up to it. But everything you said about the receiver, the running back, the quarterback, all true. The only thing I would add in here, if we're looking for a sliver of hope for Oklahoma, uh, as far as the, on the, on the good news side is that Oklahoma state has had struggles with offensive linemen transferring out this, this summer. So what was clearly going to be a strength for this team in the spring has become a huge question mark for them as the fall and the season is now upon us. So I'm going to be curious to see how that first half of the season shapes up for Oklahoma state and what they have up front with the offensive line, because Spencer Sanders doesn't have time. It's going to be hard for him to take a step forward. If Chuba Hubbard can't get a gap open, it's going to be hard for him to do what he has done. Doesn't mean they're not talented players. It just means that they may not be as free to do what they've done in years past. So uh, the Oklahoma State makes it number one for me. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. The good news is next week when we're back, it's actually game week, and we're talking X's and O's, Jimmy's and Joe's, as Oklahoma prepares to play Missouri State to start the 2020 football season. Until then, he's Rich. I'm Matt. Have a great weekend, and boomer Sooner.